Thank you, Jesse. I'm back. About uh, half of the genes uh, are staying up in Washington until June the 15th. Uh, there's still some things that the kids want to have done to their new house, and so she decided to stay and to help them finish that up. But it's always good to be back home. You still look the same. You haven't changed. I was thinking this morning, a year ago, last Christmas, June and I were in Sabbath school at uh, the Denver South Church. And I heard a voice behind me. I turned around and looked. There wasn't anyone sitting behind me. And this voice said, Would you please preach the second coming of Christ? And I believe that was from God. And so at that particular time and all through a whole year and past then, I've been looking at the emphasis of the soon coming of Jesus. And there was urgency in that voice when we was coming to that. And as we can see, and just within the last few weeks itself, there's been a lot of rioting within Greece because the economy is, is shattered in that country. The euro dollar has devalued so much within the last few weeks that it... Uh, it's almost non-existent anymore. They're beginning to worry throughout the world what's going to happen if the euro dollar falls to pieces. Uh, we began to look at the unemployment has been rising just this last week. The rise of unemployment has gone to 25,000 new people who filed for unemployment. Um, California is the number three state uh, in the United States that... Um, is the highest in unemployment rate, as some of you know from the jobs that you have lost and still haven't been able to find. The stock market keeps rising and dropping, and we don't know where the stocks are going to end up. It's been so bad that uh, the, the, there's been a war between the Democrats and the Republicans of wondering what are we going to do to be able to help our economy, and they're still battling, and they're still not quite sure on what to do itself. We have that big oil spill. It's been almost a month where oil is bubbling up out of the Gulf and is spreading all over, and now it's heading inland to the, to the swamps of, of uh, Louisiana. We'll soon be going to the Key West, uh, Florida. Uh, they're looking at, if they can't get it stopped, that it might even ruin the coral in Key West, Florida, and it's going to lose a lot of, of the wildlife, the sea life in that area. There is a huge increase now of foreclosures. If you haven't driven up and down the streets yet, just coming back, I see big banners of businesses that have closed. The banks are putting big banners up in banning, saying this place has been foreclosed. Please call, and it gives a number if you're wanting to buy this building because they're trying to sell them. Homes after homes, I'm seeing the yellow slips on the windows where the bank has put on there that this has been foreclosed in the homes. So we're seeing all that taking place. Uh, within just the last few weeks itself. Banks are closing. We are having a higher rate of bank closures this year as compared to other years at this time of the year. And uh, last year there were over 200 banks that closed in the United States. They're looking at that could possibly be even higher this year than 200 banks. And the FDIC is worried because all that money that people put in there is insured and FDIC is beginning to run out of money. 
and they're having to print up more money to be able to help pay those back. Um, the Tea Party movement is going big and strong within the United States itself, and the people are angry with the way the government is running the place, and so they are coming in and they're saying, we want a change, and they're beginning to see that change taking place in the primaries that are going of uh, who they're voting for and who they're beginning to push out. And a lot of the long-term um, politicians that have been in Washington, D.C. for a long time are beginning to worry about their own jobs as to whether they're going to be able to keep it or not. So there's a change on the horizon itself. The world is just rapidly changing. And it all boils down to one thing. Now I know why at the Denver South Church the voice was very urgent in saying, Please preach the soon coming of Jesus Christ, because that's what's happening. The world is, is foretelling it. And a lot of you calling up and, and saying, you know, I've seen this, and it's all happening very rapidly. <clears throat> in fact, in the Testimonies, Volume 9, uh, page 11, it says, The days in which we live are solemn and important. The Spirit of God is gradually but surely being withdrawn from the earth. The calamities by land and sea, the unsettled state of society, the alarms of war are portentous. They forecast the approaching events of the greatest magnitude, the agencies of evil, and combing their forces, consolidating they are strengthening for the last great crisis. Great changes are soon to take place in our world, and the final movements will be rapid ones. And we're seeing these things rapidly being fulfilled right now before our eyes. And it isn't just taking years to do all these things. It's just one right after another, almost daily, in some cases almost hourly. The rapid ones are very quick ones and it's coming so Jesus is coming soon I see why God wanted me to preach I see why the church has been full as we preach this message I see why you're buying not buying getting the CDs they've been free and they've been going all over I've been getting places like from from um, Idaho and Canada and everything else that these CDs are ending up there and they're saying we're not hearing this in our churches. We want to hear about the second coming of Christ. We want to be ready for Jesus to come. And so that message has been very urgent. We focus a lot of our time and our efforts on these world events. And, and we're looking at the fact that Jesus is going to come soon. But sometimes we consume so much time looking at the world and the events around us, we forget something that is probably even more important. Ellen White wrote at a general conference session in 1893, she stated that she had to lay down her pen and lift up her soul in prayer. Do you know why she did that? This was during the time when she was writing just constantly day and night, putting out materials to be published, to be sent all over the world. And she said she had to lay down her pen and to pray. Do you know who she was praying for? For the church. She was praying something was taking place in the church. 
And we need to ask why. And I'm going to share with you what it is. And then I'm going to share with you a new emphasis that God placed upon me while I was on my trip. You've got to be careful when I go on my trips. That seems to be when God seems to speak to me. But there's a new emphasis that's taking place. And here's what she said. This is the reason why she put down her pen and she began uh, praying and praying for the church. This is found in the General Conference Bulletin, 1893. It says, it's a solemn statement that I make to the church that not one in 20 whose names are registered upon the church books are prepared to close their earthly history and would be as verily without God and without hope in the world as the common sinner. They are professedly serving God. Now listen to this. They are serving, professedly serving God. They're saying, I'm a good church member. But they are more earnestly serving mammon. That's the things of the world. This half and half work is a constant denying of Christ. Whoa. Rather than a confessing of Christ, so many have brought into the church their own unsubdued spirit, that's their selfishness, unrefined, their spiritual taste is perverted by their own immoral, debasing corruptions, symbolizing the world in spirit, symbolizing the world in spirit, in heart, purpose, confirming themselves in lustful practices and are full of deception through and through in their professed Christian life living as sinners claiming to be Christians. She had to throw her pen down and say, Lord, i got to pray. This is not happening outside the world. This is happening in the church. They're seeing what the church has stood for. They're seeing and they're claiming to be Christians, but there's something there that they're, they're portraying and it's out of their own selfishness, and they don't want to follow the commands of God. They want to make excuses that this is why I can go ahead and live this way, and it's okay because I'm a Christian. And that should bother us. It says not one in 20 will be ready for the second coming of Jesus. You know what that means? Probably only about uh, 10 in this congregation right now. When I was up at Lake Wenatchee last weekend in Washington, beautiful place. Good, fresh, crisp mountain air. The Lord says, go back and preach. I'm just about ready to start the shaking. We look at the events, but we forget to begin to look at ourselves and our church. And we've got to look. If we keep saying, yeah, the Lord's going to come, 
But we say, but I'm okay. I'm in the church. We better watch out. Because only one in 20, she says, back then. Review and Herald, March 22nd, 1877. We have far more to fear from within. She's talking about the church. Then from without, you panic about the events that are taking place outside the world. We've got far more to fear of what's going on within the within the denomination. The hindrance to strength and success are far, far greater from the church itself than from the world. So we need to focus more on what's happening within the church. What should we watch for in the church? What should we watch for within ourselves? Review and Herald, March 22nd, 1887. Unbelievers, when she talks about unbelievers, who is she talking about? Those who are not ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. If you look in, in Revelation chapter 3, it's those who are cold. Have a right to expect that those who profess to be keeping the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus will do more than any other class to promote and honor by their consistent lives, by their godly example, and their active influence, the cause of which they represent. But how often have the professed advocates of the truth Prove the greatest obstacle to its advancement. The unbelief indulged, the doubts, the experience, the darkness, the express the darkness, cherished, encouraged the presence of evil angels, and opened the way for the accomplishments of Satan's devices. The church can become the tool of the devil to keep those who are looking for a church that says we not only believe what the Bible has to say, but we practice it. They expect the church to have a higher standard than the rest of the world, not to become like the world, but to be different than the rest of the world. But if it doesn't happen within the church, if we become more like the world, we become the tool of the devil himself. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Notice her emphasis on the non-believers who are looking at those of the church. They are the ones that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Are these two things important? What if I choose only to do one? Let's say keeping the commandments of God. That that I'm going to keep the commandments. God has nothing to worry. I'm keeping the Sabbath. I'm doing everything that he commands me to do. Is that enough? It's legalism. We have plenty of legalists within our denomination. If we emphasize only legalism, only the commandments, that that's the only way that we can be saved is by keeping the commandments, which is not biblical, by the way. If we emphasize that, we are the tool of the devil. (coughs) That can't happen to me. 
If I emphasize only the faith of Jesus, you've got to believe in Jesus. Don't worry about the commandments. Throw them out. You don't have to do it. Do you know what we call that today? It's evangelical Christians. That's what their emphasis is. Am I right? I have heard pastors in our denomination who have said, I am an evangelical Adventist. Emphasis only on the faith of Jesus. And don't worry about the commandments. They are the tool of the devil. If I'm one or the other, the Lord's going to say, I'm going to shake you out. You've got to have both. It's got to be there. Jesus spoke about church members. Matthew seven twenty one to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, look how they're addressing him. You're my Lord and my Savior. Shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. When I do the will of the Father, what am I doing? I'm keeping his commandments. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There's no faith in Jesus. The church members thought that they were doing God's work. Jesus said that they would be cast out because they refused to do the will of the Father that's keeping the commandments of God, and they didn't have a relationship with Jesus. They were lacking faith in Jesus. All through the history of the Bible, the story has always been the same. When they begin to not keep the commandments of God or lack the faith of Jesus, there had to be a shaking. Things had to be different. Let me give you an example. When God created this world, he said that when he finished, it was very good. He was very pleased with his creation. But then in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, the Lord God commanded, got to keep the commandments of God. The Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. That was the commandment. That was God's will, am I right? Genesis 3. Now the serpent, who's the serpent? That's the devil. It's always been called that. But he always comes in a supernatural way to try to deceive. Serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, As God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Satan heard it. He uses scripture at times. And the woman said to the serpent, You may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said, 
to the woman, and you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable, To make one wise and took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Did she know the command of God? Sure. By the way, she added to it. Because God didn't say if you touch it. She added to the word of God. You know, sometimes in our churches, we hear what God says. Here's what God says, but I want to add a little extra to it. Say, making it say something that God didn't say. Did she follow it, the command? No. She had to choose whether to trust God or Satan. Either God's right or Satan's right. She believed or had faith in what Satan said. Above God, the Creator. The results... Genesis 3, 7 to 13. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. They began to cover up their sin. That's what we tend to do. Make excuses for our sin. If God says this is wrong, well, come up and make an excuse or do something to try to cover that up on my own so God won't notice. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves Coverings, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the, in the cool of the day. And Adam and, and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. See the making of excuses for what they're doing? God says don't do it, but here's the excuse that I have for it. When God brings us into judgment. By the way, what's been going on since 1844? The judgment. Is this the time to make excuses? And yet that's what we do in the church. They disobeyed God, had more faith in the serpent's word, and made excuses. What happened next? Shook the Garden of Eden. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. Thank you. And now lest he put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden till the, till the, ground, till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out man and he placed a cherubim at the east end of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. 
he was cast out from the presence of God. Can you imagine the shaking that took place in the place that was created that was very good? And shook out the people who no longer followed the commandments of God and who no longer had faith in the words of God of what would take place. If that took place in Eden, can you imagine what it would do now? That's what happens when you disobey God's commandments and no longer have faith in his word or in him and make excuses for why you do what you do. God says it, makes it very clear, but I make excuses. I either add to the word or I take away from the word or I say it's no longer in effect with me. It doesn't pertain to me. It isn't helpful. It's not happening. What's happening in our denomination today? Let's, let's throw Ellen White out. She's an old lady. Let's not worry about the investigative judgment. It's not happening. Don't even preach the investigative judgment within the churches. All you got to do is have faith in Jesus. And you'll be saved. Just try. Try to, to get the Sabbath off. I heard a pastor say one time, told his, his new Bible studies, look, if you go out and try to go to your boss, tell your boss that you'd like to have a Sabbath off, and if he still doesn't get it, that's okay. You can go back and work and work every Sabbath. At least you tried and the God will excuse you. But I don't see it saying that in the commands of God. Six says shall you labor and do all your work, but the Sabbath is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. So that's adding and subtracting to what God has already said. Let's look at another example. The Jews were often called God's chosen people. Am I right? They were looking for the promised Messiah. Every generation, when a child was born, they were asking, is this the Messiah? A Pharisee was a religious leader. He was known for the being the keeper of the commandments. He prided himself that he could keep the commandments of God. In fact, he was so proud of the fact that he could keep the commandments of God just to make sure he didn't make any mistakes they added to the commandments of God. They had volumes and volumes of things of what to do and what not to do on the Sabbath day that was never in God's holy word. But they wanted to make sure I am going to keep the commandments of God. But when Jesus came, they rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They saw the miracles, they were with him, they heard him speak, they said he speaks with great authority, but they didn't believe that he was the Messiah. Acts 2, verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. What does Christ mean? Savior, the Messiah. Acts 13, verses 44 to 47. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city, now we're talking Jews and Gentiles, came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blasphemy. They opposed the things spoken by Paul, 
Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. Speaking to the Jews, it's supposed to come to you first. But since you rejected it, the word of God, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have set you to be a light to the Gentiles that you should that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Do you see that? It says now the message it's shaking out the Jews now. And the message, the gospel message that Jesus not only was the Messiah but also the keeping of the commandments was to go to the Gentiles. And it says that we're fulfilling scripture. You know what's funny about that fulfilling of the scripture? Paul was quoting from Isaiah 49, verse 6, which was a command by God to the Jewish people that they were to go out and to share all that God had taught them and about the coming Messiah, and it was to go to the Gentile world for everybody to hear, and they didn't do it. This was another great shaking that took place within God's church. And then the gospel went to the Gentiles. That brings us down to where we are today. We are in what we call the last day church. The events are already pointing to us that Jesus is about to come. Things are happening rapidly. Revelation 3, verses 14 and 15. And the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things, says the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. Now look, he's talking to the last day church, not outside the church. I know your works. That you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So this is within the last day church just before Jesus comes. Continuing on, because you say, here's why you're neither cold nor hot. I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. What do the last day church, what do they think of their spiritual condition? I'm ready for Jesus to come. But Jesus says, let me tell you in the church, you don't even know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you, Jesus is speaking, to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Brothers and sisters, that goes back to Genesis back in the garden. When they hid, why did they hide? Because they were naked and they were ashamed. Because they disobeyed the commandments of God. They didn't have faith in God of what he said would happen. And so... He says that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes, that's anointing your eyes with the Holy Spirit, with the eye salve, that you may see, as many as I love, 
I rebuke and chasten. That's to get ready. Let's go through the trials of fire that we all go through. Therefore, be zealous and repent. You know, it seems strange to me that God is seeking his last day church to be zealous and to repent. You would think that since this, and knowing that it's going to be the last day church, that the next thing that's going to come is Jesus is going to come. They know Jesus is going to come. You would think that you wouldn't have to tell them to repent, that they would be ready. And the thing of it is, is they think that they're ready. But he says, you're not. And you need to be zealous about it. You need to go out. You need to act like this is the last day church. You've got a mission. So what is Jesus asking his church to do? What is his command? Just being a member of the Seventh-day Adventist church will not save you. Just because your name's on the books and you come each week and you put in your offering and you say your prayers before you eat your, your veggie sandwich, that you're saved. You are saved only by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at that later on, not today, but as time goes by. Don't trust in the things of the world. Put your total faith in Jesus. That's the only way you'll be saved. Do you remember the identifying mark of the last day church? Here are the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. They must uphold all the commandments of God, but they also must have total faith in Jesus. Anything lacking any one of those, you're going to be shaken out of the church. I can keep all the commandments I want to, but if I don't believe Jesus, if I doubt him, if I think that I have to add to whatever it is that's going to help me, I'm out. If I have only faith in Jesus and says I don't need to look at the commandments of God, I don't need to trust the Bible, I don't need to trust what, what prophets he sent, I'm out. So what happens if you don't? I will spew you out of my mouth. Your vomit. A shaking will take place is what it's saying. It's a shaking out of the church, those who are no longer. Remember, if you're in the body of Christ, you are part of the church. He's going to spew you out of the church. It's going to happen before Jesus comes in the church. Many people are going to be shaken out. Ellen White says only one in 20 is ready for the coming of Jesus. That's a whole lot of shaking going on. Six Testimonies, page 332. She says, we are in the shaking time. The time when everything that can be shaken will be shaken. The Lord will not excuse those who know the truth if they do not in word and deed obey his commands. So what can I do? Revelation 3.20. 
Behold, I. Who's the I? Okay. Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. Why is he outside of the door? He's never been invited in. He's standing outside the door of the church and he's saying, Let me in! You can't be saved without me. Trust me. You can't do it on your own. You can't change my word around. My word is sure and safe and true. You've got to trust me that I'm here to save you. I have the power. I have the ability. I have the go-ahead from the Father Himself to save you. But you've got to let me in. He should never have to knock on the door of the remnant church. But that's what He's banging the door down. And we've got to come, we'll allow Him to come in. If anyone in the church hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. We're going to have fellowship together. Remember what he said about the, about the church? It says, but Lord, didn't I do this in your name and this in your name and this in your name? I never knew you. You never let me in. He's ready to come in. He's ready to have that fellowship with you. To him who overcomes, look what Jesus is going to do. If you let him in, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame. That's by doing the commandments of God and having the faith in his father. Jesus had to do that. And having faith and and sat down with my father on his throne. He's in the judgment time right now. He says, you know, I'm, I'm right at the point where I'm looking at the names And if you're doing the commandments of God and you have the faith in Jesus, I will give you the right to sit down with me in my Father's throne. But if you refuse to let me in, if you throw out the commandments, if you throw out the things of the church, the remnant church that I set up, if you want to change it all around and you want to be like the world, there's nothing else that I can do but spew you out of my church. It's not because that's what I want to do. It's because you won't allow anything else to happen. There's nothing else can do it. I had to get Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden or they would be that way for the rest of eternity. And I can't allow that to take place. I told the Jews that they are to go out and share the gospel to the world. They no longer trusted me. They rejected me as the Messiah. And now I come to the last day church and you say, well, I'm, I'm glad to be a part of the last day church. I'm glad that the coming of Jesus is coming. I'm glad that I'm doing all these things. And he's saying, look, what you're doing is you haven't got me. I'm banging the door. I want in. And if you won't let me in, I've got to shake you out because I'm going to come in anyway. The church, God's church will triumph over evil. So we're talking about a spiritual revival from within the church. It has to take place. Those who feel overconfident will be shaken out of the church. We will learn more about avoiding the shaking next week and the weeks to come. Because the Lord says the shaking is going to start and you've got to tell the people how to be ready for this event so you won't be shaken out. 
down in the south when the slaves were there and they were made to work for plantation owners to go out into the cotton field. Many of those owners were very cruel to those black slaves. Tried to do everything to break them. One thing that they couldn't break from them was their connection with God. And many times, even out in the cruel, hot, and if you've been down south, it is hot and it is muggy. And to go out there and to work from early in the morning until late at night in those fields, in those hot conditions, those slaves kept singing songs to keep their faith on Jesus. One of those songs is the song called Give Me Jesus. It's number 305 in your hymnal. And what I want us to do is we are slaves, if we're not careful, we are slaves of the devil. We are in adverse conditions. Sin is all around us. We, we are not making excuses for it or anything else. But as those slaves were singing, they were hoping one day that deliverance would come. And so they put their faith in a God and they sang about him. If you're willing to listen, to be a part of this church, invite your friends to come to say, we're going to be looking at how not to be shaken out of the church. Invite them to come. If we have to go to two church services, we'll go to two church services. But to be able to hear how to be ready when Jesus comes. Not to be sitting there and be one of those that says, but Lord, didn't I do this and this and this? Didn't I get up and read some scripture up front in church and I gave my tithe and didn't I do all these things? I don't know what anyone in here says, I'm sorry, I never knew you. So if you're willing as a determined congregation to be able to do the commandments of God and to have faith in Jesus, then let's pray this as our prayer, Give Me Jesus, hymn number 305. Shall we stand? Give me.
on an adventure. There are some new people who next week are going to be baptized. We have some baptisms not only next week, but also in the coming weeks we have some others that are preparing for baptism as well too. So it's an important time that we as a church really work together. And um, when we leave here, elders, I just want to remind you that I have a short meeting in my office. Uh, I will greet some of the people for a bit, and then I will Come back there and we'll just have a short time together. Shall we pray? Give me Jesus. He's knocking at our door right now. The church is not effective without him because the church is his body and he is our head. And without him, we are dead. Lord, we don't want to be shaken out. I don't want anyone to be lost here. But what we want is to be those who truly stand up and are the true remnant of Jesus Christ just before he comes. Come into our hearts now. In his name we pray. Amen.